I'll actually preach over in Genesis chapter 25. I want to thank the Lord for how he's raised up Brother Jamie and Sister Amy Rollins for this part of the country. I want to thank the Lord for that. I want to thank the Lord how he's raised up this camp meeting. You can't do this. You can't choose to do this. There ain't a preacher alive that can decide to have a meeting and decide to have a great meeting. Only God. God places his name where he wants it. There are rare places. Where he, a place where he chooses to set his name. The sovereignty of God is not in the whosoever. Quit messing that up. He said whosoever will five times in the New Testament. That's what he meant. Quit acting like he only died for a small minority and the rest of them have to go to hell without a choice. That's heresy. John Calvin wasn't even a good Calvinist. He read too much Bible to even believe in limited atonement. He knew the blood was, he was only a four point Calvinist. And he started it and he wasn't even what he was. Amen. Calvinism was invented at the early part of the Reformation to counter the revival. And everywhere Calvinism sets in, it kills churches and divides preachers. Thank you right there. Thank you. Thank you right there. Now you mark that down. You preach that gospel and quit trying to change whosoever will because you act like you figured out what was in the mind of God in eternity past. You ain't going to figure it out. It's bigger than us. The sovereignty of God is not in the message. The sovereignty of God is because he said it's whosoever will and that was his sovereign choice. The sovereignty of God is in the wheresoever's. And the wind so <laughs> And he chose this place and he chose this hour. And he chose for me and you to be able to sit here. And I bless his name for it. I'm thankful, Brother Dorsey, and how God uses him. God's raised up Brother John Dorsey and he's raised up some other men in this hour. And and I believe I, I believe that. And I thank God for it. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. God gave me that promise on top of a mountain uh, near the Cumberland Mountains near Kentucky. And, and my precious bride, Jennifer, was, uh, uh, was so despaired of not being able to have children. And I was on top of a mountain preaching above Sneedville, Tennessee, which is above Morristown, which is above Knoxville. And I was sitting up there on a high mountain, and they'd cleared the top of a mountain off and made it a prayer, a prayer place. And as soon as you walked up there, your hair stood out on end. God was there. And I looked over at a higher mountain peak, and I had a long talk with the Lord that day about some heavy things. And I was here, and I said, Lord, I need to be there. And I have no idea how to get, I don't have the strength to get there, the ability to get there. There's too many valleys and too many cliffs, but we need to be there. And I looked up there, and he told me, I'm going to take you there. <laughs> well, that's helping me. I'm sorry. You're kin to Presbyterians, Lutherans, maybe an Episcopalian, but it's helping me. And he said, I'm going to get you there. And I laid up there that day and I said, what about my wife? And what about us having a baby? And he gave me that verse right there. And he told me that it's going to happen. And it did. And I blessed his name. Your Bible ought to be special to you. You ought to be able to walk through your Bible and see places where you've had experiences with God. If that's just a book of rules and regulations, you have no idea who God is. That's a book of romance. It's a book of relationship. It's a book of reality. It's a book of revelation. And you ought to be able to open your Bible anywhere and have precious memories with you and the Lord. Amen. That ain't my sermon. That was just uh, me on a hilltop. <laughs> Three children now. Played with them all afternoon. Oh, I'm about to run. Oh, I'm about to run. Oh, you want to see a 300-pound man run? Fixing to happen. Yes. Verse 22. 
And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? <laughs> and she, I, I'm still on my mountaintop, sorry. And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, Brother Edward Dixon preached Jacob and Esau the other morning. Holy Ghost stirred remembrance in my heart. And I went to looking at these scriptures and some fresh bread came out of the oven. And I want to talk to you about some spiritual truths that we see in these Old Testament pictures. Don't you love your Old Testament? Yes, sir. Don't ever let a hyper dispensationalist take your Old Testament away from you. Because Corinthians chapter 10 said these things, everything in the Old Testament, was written for our admonitions, the church people, upon whom the ends of the world have come. The Old Testament was written for the last time saints. You, you're really supposed to be more excited about it than that. So run it back in. The Old Testament was written for the bride to get through the last days. That's why we love our King James Bible. Quit being goofy. Quit listening to, quit listening to college professors. And independent fundamental Baptists and Southern Baptist colleges, quit listening to them. Eighty years ago, the Southern Baptists said that, 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 that we ain't got the word of God. There's something wrong with it. And God left the Southern Baptists. About 30, 40 years ago, the independent Baptists started saying that and God's left them. But I, I, I ain't concerned about any independent or Southern. I'm born again Baptist. I'm born again Baptist. B-A-B-E, baby, right there. And that's what I am. That's exactly what I am. And uh, I'm an old-fashioned, old-timey, Holy Ghost Baptist. And, and, and listen, the King James Bible is for all the young Christians, young preachers, and everybody under 20, because there ain't but three of us saying this in America. The King James Bible is not the best translation for the English-speaking people. Yes, sir. Come on. Dot, period. The King James Bible is the word of God for the world for the last days to get the bride through the last hours. You ain't got enough sense to figure out God knew English to be the world language and that he gave us an English Bible to get us through the last day and you expect him to get to he get you to heaven but can't get a book to you. You had to go to college to get that stupid. You surely did. And so that's where we're at tonight. Now I'm holding, I'm keeping, and so he's given us the Old Testament scriptures to get us through the last days. I'm about to run 300 pound man coming to an aisle near you soon. Amen. God let all them men live all that because his love. <laughs> he knew I'd be having a hard time. He, he recorded all their sin. It didn't shake him up, honey, when they fell. He knew what they was made with to begin with. He. I'm glad he was honest. I'm glad I seen Noah get drunk and some sort of immorality took place. I'm glad I seen Abraham get lose all his faith and lie about his wife in a bad neighborhood. I'm glad I seen Isaac do the same thing. I'm glad I seen Jacob lie to everybody and lie to God too. I'm glad I heard Peter cuss. I'm glad I seen Paul's ambition, self-will, first half of his ministry. I'm glad I seen David commit adultery and cover up and murder. I'm not glad they did it. I'm glad he let me see it. Because only if he loved them and died for them then he'd love me and die for me. And if it saved them, it saved me. Honey, when he went to save Paul, in his great sovereign wisdom, he saved Paul. Now some men he sovereignly saves and they ain't got a choice about it. He'll just come and save them. Amen. Amen. And then everybody around them will get a chance. Take that home. Put that chew on it. Chaw on that for a day or two. And that's what he done with Paul. And when he came to save Paul, and I'm staying up here. If I come down there, it's 20 extra minutes on sermon. Staying right here. Figure that out. 15 years of man. Come down there. 20 extra minutes. Leave me alone. When he saved Paul. He done something remarkable. He got one of the most religious men alive and one of the wickedest men alive all in one man. And he done that 
You said that made me want to come down there. How you doing, brother? Amen. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Unblemished pedigree. God saved him. So all the religious people know that he had saved them. And then he's one of the wickedest men alive because he's guilty of murdering the body and the bride of Christ. He had blood on his hands. He broke the law. Keeping the law. Breaking the law. I wish I had somebody. Brother, you talk about wrestling with demons. How'd you like to go preach a gospel campaign? And and, and, and then the, the the elder of that of that particular town. Back in those days, towns usually only had one church. There's just enough Christians to get together in one town. And there's a lot of division in this hour because there's a lot, there, our, our trees got big and the fowls there have come lit on and a lot of branches, a lot of birds. That's another sermon. Leave me alone. Now, the elder of that town, the bishop of that town, and he'd have to tell Paul now, go a little easy over here and might need to tell you ahead of time. You killed her granddaddy. This whole butt's over here, row four through eight. You killed her granddaddy before you got saved. He was one of the he was one of the leaders of the church. And you killed him. I just thought might you might need to give you the heads up on that in case anybody says something. God let him be have blood on his hands when he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I always wondered, did he say that because he felt like it? Or did he say that because the Holy Ghost made him say it? That verbal plenary inspiration. Brother Jeremiah, I don't know. I'm not going to sign my name on either one of those theories. But I'd accept that last and I would. Because you know, if a man sinned against God, you can do a lot of things. Sin against God. You can do a lot of things sin against God. Put it like this. You can do a lot of things to me. And I'll be honest with you, it don't bother me. I don't like most people, so I don't care when they don't like me. I love y'all because God's in me. But my natural nature, I don't need people. And you do a lot of things to me, and that's fine. You go mess with them babies. You get my four-year-old Kendall, and I'll be trying to kill you in about three seconds. If I'm bigger than you, I'll do it with my hand. If you're bigger than me, I'll find something that makes me bigger than you. And I'll be killing you shortly and enjoying it. And I did pastor in the swamp for a decade. I got some boys that can take, they won't know who done it. There'll be a happy gator down there in Bradford County somewhere. And they won't even know, you mess with my baby. The only way it might get worse, you mess with my bride. She's the one that has my babies. And you touch my bride, that's my own flesh. And I might have to kill you and enjoy doing it. And I wonder if there's only one man on record in human history who tried to kill God's baby and God's bride. The church was the bride of Christ, but it was God's little baby. And he's trying to kill the bride. You could do anything to Jesus, but there wasn't one man alive that's trying to kill the bride of Christ while it was an infant. And that was Paul. And that's why God saved the socks off of him. And all he could do was preach on grace. Because he got saved from both ditches, Dorsey. He got saved from religion and he got saved from deep, deep sin. The blood on his hands, honey, was the murdered blood of the bride of Christ while it was a baby. While she was a baby. See, my Kendall and my Jennifer, Paul got both of them in one shot. That was God's baby and God's bride. And it was the Holy Ghost's body. He sinned against the Spirit. He sinned against the Son. He sinned against the Father. And God said, I need to save somebody who will really believe it was grace and all of grace. I believe I'll save the fellow trying to kill me. And everybody after him is going to believe if he did it for him, he'd do it for them. 
This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Philippians 3. The reason that the one thing that he did is the one thing he always had to do. That's the only thing he had to overcome was forgetting what he'd been and what he was. <laughs> but I'm glad in Philippians 3, you can put it behind you and forget it and press on toward the mark. You're going to have to press on. You're going to have to press on. Now, okay, where are y'all at? Now we're right here in Genesis 25. I'm going to preach and, and through these scriptures, would that be all right? I got my Bible, it's 832. I probably, okay, now I'm done with that. Okay. Genesis took him three hours to go out in the darkness and get us. And I like him three hour services. Took him three hours to go out and get me. I like to take about three hours to come in and thank him. That's how I had church. First three years, we didn't even have Sunday school. Called it off and prayed and shouted and run. Never started a Sunday morning service. We was already having church when they got there. <laughs> Loved it. Watch this. Now, I'm going to talk to you about salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and separation, and strength. I see it all right here. And aren't you glad that we can look in our in the Old Testament and see the pictures, the realities of, of the things that would, pictures of realities we would experience? Yeah. Right, Amen. Yeah. Somebody said this, and I want you to love your Bible. Somebody said the New Testament is short because it contains the facts. And the Old Testament is long because it contains the feelings. In other words, you read about the cross in the New Testament, and all it says, all it says about Calvary is, and there they crucified him. One on the right hand, one on the left, and they're done talking about it. You got to go back in the Old Testament and read Psalm 22. And hear him groan and go into the seven sayings of the cross. You got to go to Isaiah 53. You got to go to Genesis 22. Isaac offered up on Genesis 22 is how the father saw Calvary. Psalm 22 is how the son saw Calvary. Isaiah 53 is how the Holy Spirit said, Who hath believed I report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And the Old Testament, and in the New Testament it would say, and there they crucified him. And Paul would say, the preaching of the cross. And, 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 and that's better. But you got to go back there. You got to go back there in the Old Testament. And you got to go back in there to them Levitical offerings in the book, and a whole book detail down to the very where every little every little every little drop was 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 splattered and sprinkled. And how many offerings, how many offerings, how many daily rules in the daily details of the book of Leviticus just to show you what one sacrifice was going to mean. And so we love our Bible. We love our Bible. Now watch this. I see some things here. Now the first one, I'm not going to preach on salvation. That's a whole message. But in verse 20, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. And I am so glad that, that my Isaac came and found, found me and made me his own. Yes. And if you're wondering about eternal salvation, I'm not so sure about saying eternal security, that phrase ain't in the Bible, but eternal salvation, then know this, it's more than me being his, it's me being him. I'm his bride. And Ephesians 5, we're one. It's a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. I'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. I ain't just his, I'm him. Now see, that's a whole sermon and y'all are wanting me to preach it, but you got to stay out of my business. Just leave me alone. Amen. That's why when he walks, she, she walks down, the, she's brought to him. And in Genesis 24, the, the father sent the servant to find a bride for the son. You bunch of Episcopalians, let's try that again. I've tried not to preach Genesis 24, so it's going to be your choice. Here we go. Aren't you glad in Genesis 24, the father sent the servant to find a bride for his son? Yes, yes. 
Amen. You did good. All right. So, and then he brought her. They brought her, and what a glorious picture Genesis 24 is, and brought her to Isaac, and Isaac was waiting in the field at eventide. And, and there she said, what man is this? When she saw him there yonder. And that's why we go to church all the time. The Holy Ghost is bringing us to him, and we, and we get glimpses of him and say, tell me, about my, tell me about my Savior. What man is this? Amen. That's coming out to meet us. Amen. I'm trying to make Genesis 24 go away, but it, is, it needs to go away. And so Took him to be his wife. And I'm so glad he took me. Do you ever see a sinner come down the altar? It's, it, it's just like a bride coming down. They're coming down. Amen. And he makes vows to her. He swears eternal vows to her. And, and, and she loses her name and takes his. Now, I know Hillary Rodham Clinton didn't do it, but that ain't her husband. I know something's really wrong. And so, amen. Amen. You're supposed to drop your name and take his. Y'all leave me alone. And then you're one. And that bone of the bone and flesh of your flesh. Amen. And so another sermon's trying to come in here. We're going to make it go away. That's your salvation. And so... We come down to verse 22 where my burden is. Look what happens inside Rebecca after her salvation picture takes place. And the ch- children struggled together within her. wonder if my battery's dying. How long has it been since we changed? Okay. And the children struggled together within her. She had twins. I wish I had somebody. Amen. Brother Dorsey opened it up. And I knew I was going to run right on in there. Been all day, knew it. There were two persons living in her. Thank you, Brother Dorsey. He opened it up for us, see. You, he said, I'm a fighting two natures. I almost had to start preaching right then. He's about to kill me. Because there was two struggling within her. There was Jacob and Esau. And the one that was birthed first was a bad guy and lived bad and died bad. But the one that was born second, the second birth she had. Y'all are going to make this sermon longer if you don't come with me. You act like a black choir, I'll be done in 15 minutes. You act like white people, it'll be two hours. It's up to you. I said they was a bad they was a bad nature in her and they was a good nature. One had already been foreordained to be blessed of God and the other in God, Romans 9 said that the purposes of God according to election before they ever got here, God knew them two natures struggling within her. This is sanctification. This is sanctification. This is sanctification. Now there's positional sanctification. That's it. I'm in Christ. I'm already in heaven. I'm, and and my, my record's already clear. I'm as good as there. You should have popped a happy bubble. And then there's perfect sanctification. That's the good, glad, getting up day when this old flesh body on that resurrection trumpet morn is going to be turned into a glorified body halfway there in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this old flesh is going to be changed. He'll change our vile body and it'll be fashioned like in his glorious body and that's perfect sanctification. Right now, I got positional sanctification. I'm up there, but you can't see me. I'm in him. He's down here, but you can't see him. He's in me. Up there, I'm in him. Down here, he's in me. One of these positions is gonna be eradicated, erased, and done away with one of these. Which one do you think it is? Not that one. This one down here is gonna change. Hallelujah to God. I'm going up there where I already am. Amen. My friend in South Georgia wrote that song. I am not what I am, but I already am what I'm going to be. Amen. Hallelujah to God, who is the stuttering preacher from South Carolina. Help me, Dorsey and Jeremiah. Who is the old stuttering preacher? And thought like this, that lot and preacher from, from South Carolina. Milton Taylor. Amen. Thank you. Brother Milton Taylor. Brother Milton Taylor taught that positional truth all them years. And our old friend wrote that song down there in South Georgia. I am not what I am, but I already am what I'm going to be. Hallelujah to God.
Amen. They say there's three dimensions, time, space, and matter. That three months ago, scientists come out, one of their magazines said there's 10 dimensions that they've discovered in the universe. And my uncle, Brother Randy Bell, is a, a scientist and a mathematician. He called me yesterday and said he studied them 10 dimensions. And he said, he said, they got it right. He said, there's 10 dimensions. And he said, that's why Paul said, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Amen. These things running through the air right now that you can't see, but they're there. There's radio signals. There's, elect, there, there's AM and FM radio, and they're running through us right now. They're running through you right now. And if you had eyes that saw electronic waves, you'd see them. Radio waves. There, there's cell phone signals running through here. There's a chemical world alive in front of you. It's a good thing you can't see what kind of chemicals some people got on them here tonight. There's a chemical world. There's germs and, and there's micro, microbiotic matter and particle. There's a chemical world in front of you you can't see. There's an electronic world in front of you you can't see. There is a spiritual world in front of you you can't see. I always went to church believing this. One reason we always worship, never had any trouble worshiping down there in the law. Do you remember? It's because I believe that in my soul. The Holy Ghost just helped me believe it. He's here. Yeah. Yeah. I always saw that. He's here tonight, right now, Jesus. He's here. He's here. He's had dawn on me and I'd fall on my face and we was able to have church. And if I just get two or three others to see, he's here. He is here. And he's here right here tonight. If two or three be gathered in my name, he's here. And he's right here. You just can't see him. He's here in the Holy Ghost manifesting the presence of Jesus. And that would help me repent. Amen. And it helped me get my eyes off others. I saw how sinful I was. Able to worship right when you can repent right. Everybody in this hour is wanting to worship good but not repent good. Everybody in this hour is wanting to rejoice. Nobody's wanting to repent. That's what you rejoice over. Is that you repented and he got down there and snuggled with you and held you and said, I've already took your sins off of you. I died for them at Calvary. I died with them at Calvary. Your sins died at Calvary. And he'll rub in that wine and oil and that blood and that touch of his hands. Hallelujah to God. There's a spiritual world in front of you. Just can't see it. Just can't see it. Now, I forgot what we was talking about. But it'll come back in a minute and that'll be all right. And the children struggle together within her. That's our problem. You got, okay, I was talking about positional sanctification. I was talking about perfect sanctification. But I got to mention the third one where we live, practical sanctification. That means on a daily basis, the Holy Ghost is conforming me into what I already am in eternity. But what I am on earth is the Holy Ghost business. What I am in heaven is Jesus' business. And he already finished that part. Amen. And the Holy Ghost is practical sanctification. That means every day. Now that's why these holiness people out here can't get a hold of that. They think they got to to be perfect. I got news for you. You're never going to be sinless. But if you walk with God, you'll sin less. And less. And less. I was coming down the road here to the church a while ago and Duncan Campbell's a preaching in my suburban. I thought that was neat. (laughs) He'd do that. And he was preaching in my suburban. And and he quoted C.H. McIntyre. I got several good C.H. McIntyre books in my library. And he said, C.H. McIntyre said that you'll never reach a place where it's impossible for you to sin. He said, but you can come to a place where it's possible for you to not sin. Well, y'all looking at me like that's the first time you ever had a bite of that banana pie. Because yeah. 1 John 2 said, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not, dot, which is a period. That ye sin not, period. Well, the reason it's got so quiet because you grew up all your life with them badness who said, Father, forgive me for all the sins I committed today and all the sins I'm going to commit tomorrow. Well, what sins are you planning on committing tomorrow? Pray tell. It's not possible for you to come to a place 
where it's impossible for you to sin. But you can come to a place where you walk with God in unbroken fellowship, and it is possible for you to not sin. Now, the law of sin will still be in you, but you and the Holy Ghost can overcome that thing. All right, watch this. And the children struggled together within her. I have a news for you, child of God, if you're wondering, because you're struggling with your sin. If you're wondering if you're saved because you're struggling with your sin nature, I got news for you. That's how I know you're saved, because sinners don't struggle with their sin nature. I'll tell you another way I know you're saved. See, they ain't got nobody down there fighting against the old man. They're Esau all the way. Hallelujah to God. Amen. I tell you another way I know that I know you're saved. If you come up to me crying and weeping and all tore up and in great anxiety, and some of you've been that way for months, and some of you've been that way for years, and some of you've been that way for decades, and you talk about doubting my salvation. And I wrestled with it so long and so deep and so hard. And I'm doubting my salvation. Well, I wish you'd just listen to yourself. You just answered your own question. You said you had a salvation. There ain't a sinner alive that doubts his salvation. The devil never tells a sinner he's lost. He always tells them that they're saved. And if he's telling you you're lost, that's how I know you're saved. The last thing the devil wants you to even have on your mind is that you're lost. That's how I know you're saved. Because you came to him one day and ever since then you've been acting like a Pentecostal holiness and trying to leave this matter of being saved up to you. What you had to do with it to begin with. Nothing. He said, come, and you ain't got to be able to walk to come the way he said, come. He said, call on me. You ain't got to be able to talk to do that kind of calling. That's how I know you're saved. I perplex people across the country. Pastor and his wife and it's usually preacher's kids, deacon's kids, song leader's kids. Because everybody in the world is trying to be spiritual for them. Leave them alone. I'm going to let my boy be a boy. You grown Christians don't even act like you're saved. I ain't going to make him act like it. He is saved. I've been saved 31 years. And I don't always act like it. He just got in. He ain't even 10. I ain't going to try to make him live like something. You're looking at one of the that don't care what you think about my standards. I appreciate a pastor with an evangelist heart. I know right where you're coming from. That's a blessing. But you better hear me. I'm an evangelist with an evangelist heart. If there wasn't any of them around, there wouldn't be no evangelist. And the pastor has one ministry to the body and the evangelist has the other. Now I know what Brother Dorsey meant because I'd known that man all his life. All he meant was, I love you people and I care for you. It's exactly what he meant. Let me tell you what a lot of mean, men mean when they say that, Brother Dorsey. They'll say, I only bring pastors in to preach. Because them evangelists tear your church up. Now, we've all met a donkey or two who does act like a donkey. Last time I checked, them donkeys don't get booked more than three times. Unless it's another donkey booking them. And the donkey that booked the donkey, he ain't got nobody but donkeys either. And that's why they don't mind donkeys. All across America. Now, now, Brother Dorsey, you understand? This is no contradiction to what you said. Have I explained that? This no. What he meant was, I love you people. And I want to minister to you a little while because I got a shepherd's heart. A real evangelist to have a shepherd's heart too. Forty years, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement wouldn't book nothing but other pastors with big churches. And here's what they say: I'm not bringing an evangelist. Here's what they meant: I'm not bringing in a prophet who might look at my church and preach on the sins that I've not been preaching on. 
Because I got three carnal families and I need one of them's offering and some of them I'm kin to and my wife's living in a certain way and I can't have nobody preach on that either. I'm an evangelist with an evangelist heart. And it's a heart to the, to the churches for the body of Christ. And I got news for you. Those children struggled together within her. Now, that Jacob and Esau, the devil don't never tell saved people they're saved. He tells saved people they're lost and he tells lost people they're safe. The very fact there's a struggle going on inside of you is an evident that there's two natures in there. Now they hate us Baptists for this. There's one reason that the old time, the two reasons, old time, three reasons, old time Baptists are despised. One, because we're the only ones got the doctrine of baptism right. And every cult and heresy begins or winds up in really abominating the doctrine of baptism, which is vital. They burn people at stake for hundreds of years for believing baptism right. That's one reason, because we got baptism right. Now, that's another sermon. Another reason is, is we're the church. We're the only outfit that did not name ourselves. We're the only outfit that can't go back to a date in the last 2,000 years of history. And everybody else has a man and a city and a date. The Methodists have one. The Episcopalians have one. The Roman Catholics have one. All the Protestant churches are birthed out of the Roman Catholic Church in the Reformation. We're not Protestants. I don't care if they put it on your dog tags in the military. We're not, we ain't protesting nothing. John the Baptist baptized Jesus, said, cause it takes this to fulfill all righteousness. And he told them boys, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Cause Jesus is gonna baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit's gonna baptize you into Christ and a preacher ought to baptize you in water so everybody will know you had them other baptisms. Our man's name is Jesus. Our city is Jerusalem. And our event is Calvary. Third reason, Jared, that they hate us Baptists is because we're the only outfit that believes once you're saved, he did it so good, he'll never have to do it again. We believe in the sworn mercies of the covenant of Calvary. We believe... Honey, in the sworn mercies, in the sworn covenant that God swore to himself, he didn't promise you nothing. He promised his son everything. The spirit, the father told the son what he wanted him to do. The son promised him he'd do it. The father promised him what he'd do for him if he did do it. And the spirit promised the son, I'll see to it it gets done down there while you're up here. Yes, All right, maybe that didn't get some of you. Maybe your mama was a Lutheran, your grandma was a Presbyterian. That's why you can sit there and act like this thing ain't exciting. I got that unspeakable joy full of glory. You and John were sitting there on a Thursday night, July the 29th, 1982. How old were you in 1982? Six years of him and John and my brother Jason and my brother Chad and Jonathan wasn't here yet. The world wasn't ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Is <laughs> getting ready for it. Yeah, hey, the coons were not all ready for him yeah. to get you. <laughs> Amen. Y'all's just sitting there tonight and he filled me with the Holy Ghost and I and, and unspeakable joy full of glory and I never had to get over religion. He started me out early drunk on the real stuff. Amen. I never had to get over the fear of men. Amen. Amen. God filled me up with the fear of God before I ever knew you're supposed to worry about men. Amen. 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 
Yeah, man. Now, what was y'all talking about that we're so happy about? Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Amen. I have A A A A D D D D. Amen. Oh, they hate the fact that we stand on a rock that they can't move. And we know that we know that we know that we know. And they can't figure out how we know. And they'll never know until they know. And the minute they know, they know why all them don't know. And they know why they couldn't understand why they didn't know what we know now that they know. Because his spirit and his scriptures have told me. And I've got the witness on the inside. And there's two children struggling. There's two natures. Now drop down. What verse is it? You'll see these two boys. I'm going to quit when y'all are done. That's the deal I've made with myself. In verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, Feed me! You see it? Everybody, everybody say it out loud. Esau said, feed me. Feed me. That's what the old man says. Jacob was that second birth. He's the type of the saved man. Esau was a fornicator, Hebrews 12, a profane person who never could find repentance because he was sorry for what he lost. He wasn't sorry that he sold it. He was sorry that he lost it. Do you hear me? He sold that birthright and that for a bowl of flesh. I need y'all to help me. I'll be done in about 10, 12 minutes. He sold that, and I ain't worried about it. That's just what I feel like. He sold that birthright for a bowl of flesh. And he's a profane person. Now you look at here. Hebrews 12 said that he could not find a uh, repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He was not trying to get right with God. He's trying to get right with his father so he could get back what he lost. This text has been taken from many a, and confused many a person and thinking they can't get saved because of that verse. It was false repentance. And he was crying. Not that he sold it, but that he lost it. If he'd have been sorry that he sold it, he'd have got in. But he wasn't sorry that he sold it. He's just sorry that he lost it. And he's weeping to his father and not to God. Now Judas Iscariot, same thing. When he saw that he'd betrayed the innocent blood, Matthew 27, when he saw that he betrayed the innocent blood, he ran back to the high priest. If he'd have run to Jesus, if he'd have run to the right priest, he run to the high priest down there and he tried to undo what he'd done because he lost out. He thought Jesus was taking over the Roman government. He thought he was going to get money from the Jews and a throne by Jesus. Hey, y'all. You ain't going to get the best of both worlds. One or the other. You ain't going to get what Jesus has for you and what the world has for you too. He thought he was going to get that bag of silver and then they'd get run off and he'd laugh at them ah, while he's sitting on his throne. He thought Jesus was taking the throne. He didn't understand he was taking the cross. I wish I had somebody. Amen. He's playing both sides and he got burned. Now I understand he's a devil from the beginning and there's some providential things happening with that man. But I got news for you. He went to the wrong priest because he had the wrong motive. False repentance. False repentance. That's what Esau had a bad case of. Now Esau's life was marked by this. The old man says, feed me. But Jacob's life was marked by this. Bless me. 
That's chapter 32, verse 26 of Genesis. Genesis 32, 26. That's where God was wrestling with him. And he said, bless me. And I want to say something to you about them, that struggle going on inside every saved person. There's an old man that says, feed me flesh. He was a wild man and a hunter out in the field. Jacob liked to hang out in the house with the bride. Ooh-wee. The spiritual man in you likes to hang out in the house of God with the bride of Christ. And Esau likes to go out where? In the field. That's always a picture of the world in the Bible. He liked to go out in the world and get flesh. Y'all got to help me. The old man likes to go out in the world and get flesh. But the new man likes to stay in the house with the bride and help her cook up something and serve the father. He liked to stay in the house and serve his father and help the bride of the father. About to run. About to run. I'll show you something sad in the life of Isaac. I, I, I've not heard preached on hardly. Did you know that Isaac got to where he had sinned Esau out in the field to hunt flesh for him. Now you go down and read that one chapter there where he kept doing it. And Isaac said, I love that. Watch this. Yes, Isaac started out as a spiritual man. Yes, sir. Uh, come on. Brother Shea, his early years was marked by one thing. He laid his life down on the altar. Yes, sir. Yes. But his last years, he liked that wild natured son to go bring him flesh. How many men of God start out laying on an altar, but then they, they follow their wild nature to go out in the world. And they won't go out there, but they'll send that and bring me some flesh. David sinned in his old age. Solomon sinned this way in his old age. Moses lost his temper in his old age, eh? Who was it? Noah got drunk toward the end of his ministry and immorality took... By the way, drunkenness and immorality always go hand in hand. These cocktail sippers and these people think it's all right a little here and there, a little toddy. If it'll get you a promotion down there in Atlanta and you got to clink the glasses with the bosses. Judas Iscariot sold him out for money too. We're just close enough to Atlanta where a man that could make money would be tempted to make money and sell the Lord out. I've been preaching 15 years all over Georgia and I've seen them leave the will of God to go to Atlanta to make money. I wish I had somebody. I wish to, can I tell you something about the will of God for your life? It'll never make sense. It'll never be anything you could have ever predicted. It'll never be what you planned. And it'll never have anything of your fingerprints on it. And it'll look bad coming. <laughs> but it looks good when you're going. Now see, the theme of this meeting, underriding at times and overriding at times. The theme of this meeting, last year was go. But this year it's the inner workings of the inner man. Brother Bud started on the first night. The Christian walk is one step at a time. Brother Dorsey's edifying the body of Christ and preaching on them precious truths. And in the middle of it, he stopped and told you about them two natures struggling. Those children struggle. All right. That new man says, bless me. The old man says, feed me. And I don't care till the day you die, there'll be a part in you that wants to go out in the world and find flesh, whether it be pride, whether it be women, whether it be partying, whether it be, whether it be money, whether it be covetous, no matter what it is. That old man likes to send that wild son out there to bring me some flesh. But oh, <laughs> that new nature says, bless me. And that's what we're doing in here tonight. And it's good to get in the house with the bride and serve the Father and God to come by and wrestle with you a little bit and you say, bless me. I don't want to turn you loose. 
Are y'all doing all right? Are you doing all right? I love this. And the children, are you in verse 22? And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? I'm so glad. Hey, if y'all get this fast, we'll move on. I'm so glad we can run in there and holler, Lord, why is this going on inside me? Ain't you glad you can pray like that? Paul wrote Romans, Brother Jeremiah, he wrote Romans 7. That which I would, I do not. That which I'm against is what I end up doing. Oh, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall the let? I'm glad. And he'd been saved 25 years. Brother Harrison, when I found that out, I throwed three commentaries down, knocked a fan over, and jumped over my and ran all over the house. He'd been saved 25 years and still struggling and, and still crying out, Oh, wretched man. Does anybody ever feel like a wretch? Amen. Dr. John Phillips, his commentary on Romans, we've all got it. He said one of the crimes, one of the punishments for the crime in, a, in those olden Bible days in the Mediterranean, the Romans, would do, the Romans would do this. If a man killed a man, They'd take that dead corpse and tie it, bind them together, nose to nose, belly to belly, knee to knee, put him out in the desert and let him die like that, attached to that dead, rotten corpse. Could you imagine laying out there in the desert and and strapped to a dead, rotten corpse? And he said, that's what Paul referred to when he cried out, oh, wretched man that I am, who'll deliver me from this dead body that's attached to me? Hey, y'all. There's a dead, rotten corpse attached to me. (laughs) But one of these days, he's calling me home and I'll wave goodbye to that old man. She said, why? And then what's the next thing? She went in there and she went to inquire of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Ain't you glad you can run in his presence and ask? Sister Patsy, one of the last things Jesus said before he died was, my God, my God, why? And you know, God didn't answer him. Brother David, I'm so glad I saw that, that Jesus hollered out why, and God did not answer. It must be okay to holler why. And it must be okay if you don't answer. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad that I'm so saved. All right. Y'all got time for one more verse. I think I can do it in four minutes. Verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, I'm glad he'll answer. And I ain't got time for this right here, but that's all capitals, ain't it? Hey, is that all capitals? L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah. Do you know in your Bible it was Elohim that created everything? Chapter one. But in chapter two, when we move to the scene of the man in the garden, the Lord shows up, Jehovah. (laughs) Elohim is the creator God. But Yahweh, Jehovah, that's the covenant God. Elohim is always the God that's afar off. He makes the worlds and holds them in his hand. Jehovah's the one that walks to the mailbox with you. Jehovah's the one that walks down to the graveside with you and stands there. Jehovah's the one that rides to work with you. I wish I had somebody. And when Jehovah comes, he don't just come. He comes comes swearing covenants. Amen. And so here's the Lord said, and I'm so glad when I run to him with this internal struggle that it's the covenant keeping close God who answers. Y'all ain't getting that. It's the God who made me a promise and promised his presence. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated. Wow, there's separation. It's all in the Bible. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. 
You know what was funny? I'm going to say this. Expect y'all to get it right off the bat like a black choir. Are y'all ready? He said that he said that, that, that Jacob would be stronger than Esau. And you know their whole life it looked the opposite? Y'all are a bunch of white people. You ain't getting that. How's it looking for you right now? Some of you, if you had to vote tonight, if you're a spiritual man or you're a sinful man, you'd say the spiritual man's really weak and the sinful man's really strong. But it ain't so. It just looks that way to you. Esau is the man's man. He is out there in the field. I, y'all missed that message. That was Monday or Tuesday night. We got on all them man's men. Them alpha males. Them first men. Interpreted in the kingdom of God is men that are full of pride and full of their self and won't listen to nobody. Well, I'm a type A personality. Yeah, type Adam. <laughs> How about instead of being a man's man, you be God's man? Most of these boys are hiding behind their little shark tooth necklace. Their three hairs poking out. You got them big, you got them big tires because you're a big baby, probably. You got to kill animals because you, cause you, can't, you can't kill nothing else in your life. I love a monster truck. I like going hunting with my brothers. I don't never kill nothing. They tried dead and Chad, John, they've been trying to get me to kill something my whole life. I was out in the wood, leaned up, and watching a squirrel and a hawk and a, and a deer, a, doe, a buck chasing a doe. And I said, man, that's pretty. Oh, I was supposed to kill it. Knocked the rifle off, fell off the deer stand. The deer trotted up like, you're goofy. And they like trotted away. I was like pointing the rifle the wrong, bam, shot something behind me. It just never got in my blood. Half these fellers are hunting because it's a blessing from God. The rest of them's got them a truck and a little shark tooth thing and they, and they sport them big old duck dynasty beard. They're hiding behind there because they're scared to death of everything. They like to get them a little walkie-talkie volunteer fireman walkie-talkie. Yeah. I've always wanted to preach on that. Yeah. You can't get them to go get a sinner out of hell for nothing, but they'll, they'll leave preach their wife and everybody in the world run down there preach and chase old. a fire. Right. Good. You're exactly right. Well, I'm glad there's volunteer firemen out in the rural areas. But if you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, why don't you show up for Sunday night? Why don't you show up for door knocking? There's a real fire burning down below us. You couldn't ever pass nothing. They wouldn't let you be a cop and carry a gun. So you carry a walkie-talkie to show everybody you're a big man. Always to have somebody. I've been living with country boys my whole life. Half of them love the woods. The other half love their self. They're hiding behind all the little big and bad ants because they can't handle one thing in their life. And you're hiding behind you. You're hiding behind all your tires and your guns. I got guns. I got several of them. I had to get rid of most of them when I got married to buy a living room set. Man, that felt effeminate. (laughs) That felt so effeminate. I confessed it to God in case it was a sin to get rid of my guns to buy a living room set. Lord, if I'm turning, you help me. Obeying my wife. I thought that's how marriage works. Amen. Esau is a man's man. You better watch all that macho stuff. Huh? Hey! I done seen, I done been down the high, I done seen the stuff, the marquee on your beer joint across from Lighthouse. I done seen what folks are toting and wearing 
I've been with country folk my whole life. A lot of them boys are scared to death of what God would do if they ever surrender. Girls, let me suggest something to you. Instead of going down here on Friday night and getting some old boy down there with a cowboy hat bigger than him and a belt buckle the size of Idaho and a little shark tooth necklace and he's playing Garth Brooks or Aaron Tippin or Willie I'm mentioning my favorite ones. I don't know anybody else. I mentioned the one that I have to confess when I sit in Waffle House and I enjoy it too much. Somebody, and somebody puts a quarter in there and I'm just praying they put another one in. When he stopped loving her today, I cried for a month. I hung a black wreath on everything I had when he hung that black wreath on her door. I didn't know either one of them. And it broke my heart. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me help you girls for a minute. Some old boy down there got a shark tooth. And he got little snap buttons and got them all unbuttoned. He down there at the car wash on a Friday night. Dairy Queen, then the car wash. Dairy Queen, then the car wash. I have been there, there and done that. That's why I'm preaching again. I knew what I was after and it wasn't God. I was after one of them girls. Instead of going down there on Friday night, why don't you come here tomorrow night? Yes, Find you a revival meeting on a Friday night and get you a Jacob that's in the father's house working with the bride, serving in the kitchen. Instead of somebody out there chasing flesh and being wild and going to rip your life to pieces. And the first time you don't baby him like his mama, he'll dump you on the side of the road and find some other floozy who will treat him like his mama. You raise your babies and he'll be the biggest baby. And all that macho stuff is you'll find out he's a big baby. He ain't a man enough of God to snap his shirt up. God don't like nakedness on men nor women. Thank you very much. He'll put a tie on, honey, and go down to the house or a good pair of overhauls with the Holy Ghost on. Go down to a camp meeting somewhere. Get on the front row, wave a King James bow. You ought to follow him around a while. If you think I'm wasting my time, you find Friday night in any little town anywhere. And there's some girls out there, obviously their daddy don't love them because they're out there at midnight with a bunch of drunkenness and fornication. And why is it always country music? Why don't they play the Rochesters? Why don't they play the McCamies? Why don't they play the Inspirations? Why don't they find a good clip of me singing somewhere in a meeting? I mean, I'd suggest that too, you know. That old man said, feed me. He said, feed me. But that other man said, bless me. Well, verse 23 needs to be preached. He said, two nations are in thy womb. By the way, can I take 60 seconds and deal with something? Is it all right to preach the Bible in here? Every Calvinist in the world goes to Romans 9 and says where God hated Esau and loved Jacob and tries to prove unconditional election to you. Romans chapter 9 has nothing to do with the individual's plan of salvation. Romans 9 and, and, and 11 are dealing totally with the nation, God's national issues. And he said, two nations are in thy womb and there's the purposes of God according to election. Don't make me go to Romans 9 and prove that. It'd take a half an hour, but it'd be good preaching. And for the Calvinist boys who want to run that election, explain this. Why did elect Israel resist him and go to hell? If election and, 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 and irresistible grace works so good and limited, then how come the elect could resist him and go to hell? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You quit treating God hating Esau and loving Jacob like it's the plan of salvation for the church age in the Gentile plan of salvation. 
Romans 9 is totally about national issues. And when he brings up Pharaoh and Moses, again, he's dealing with Egypt and Israel. And the other one with the Edomites and the Israelites. God dealing with nations. Two nations are in thy womb. You quit messing with the gospel. Two nations are in thy womb. And he said they got to be separated. And he said they're the one stronger than the other, even though it don't look like it. I sure am glad I'm saved. I'm glad 25 years after being saved with apostolic anointing, he could say, oh, wretched man that I am. I want to say you ain't got to stay in Romans 7. You can move on to Romans 8. There may be an indwelling sin, but that's all in Romans 7. If you'd move on to Romans 8, there's an indwelling spirit. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a greater law. They're both in there. They're pulling from each other. Trying to close. Brother Norman said it this way a year ago at uh, the Dixon's camp meeting. He said, there's an evil nature in me pulling me down and I go down a lot, but I never go as far as it wants me to. Because there's another power pulling me up, a holy nature in me that's pulling me higher. And he said, I never go quite as high as I want to because that one's pulling me down. He said, I never go as low as it wants me to and I never go as high as it wants me to. But one of these days, this tug of war is really unfair. It is a fixed fight. And one of these days when he's ready, he's just going to yank you all the way. And you're going to go higher than you ever thought you could. Yeah. 